we are on a series on Abraham right now. We're doing the biography of the man of faith. And I have this deep conviction. I hate to use, even use the word conviction. I have this deep drive inside of me to continually to increase my faith. And I said it last week. My faith that I had last year will not get me through this year because it just... It just won't. It's just, I have to continue to grow in faith. And so God really led me to the life of Abraham to learn from the father of faith. Now, have you ever been put into a situation where you were forced to make a decision? Have you ever? How many people have some big decisions to make this week? And you, you need God. Well, today is the day for you because we're going to be looking how to to make the right decisions, how to have vision, how to have God's vision to make the right move. And without faith, you cannot make the right decision. You can make good decisions without faith. You can make profitable decisions without faith. And just because you got lucky all right, hang on one second. Uh, hey, we have, a, we have a saint in the room today. Pastor Mike Barnett, one of the founding uh, members, of founding fathers of the Vineyard Movement, is visiting us today. Good to have you with us, Mike. God bless you. Uh, all right, back on track here. Uh, like, you can get lucky and pick the right stocks, but it doesn't mean that you did it in faith. You can get lucky and pick the right career move, like you just thought it out logistically, like you like you, you weighed your positives and your negatives, and the positives for this move outweigh your negatives, and therefore you, you made the move, and it worked. Wow. But you did it logically. You didn't do it through faith. And in the Bible, the, there is this concept that the people of God, that the children of God must get. We must understand the difference that the, not only the practical difference, but the powerful difference of walking in faith versus walking by sight. I want you to get the vision of God in your lives. Because usually we just don't invite him into our decision-making process. All right, get your Bibles out. Uh, we're going to look at Abraham, uh, Genesis Chapter 13, bless you. All right, chapter 13, we'll start off at verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt. Uh, there was a drought in the land. He ended up in Egypt. Uh, he lied about his wife, and then he made lots of money. went up from Egypt from Negev, or the south, with, with his wife and everything that he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock, silver, and gold. Skipping down. Then Abram called on the name of the Lord. So he's moving into, he's actually moving back into the territory that God called him to. And this is an important point, believe it or not. When God is moving you forward, he's preparing you, when you know that you're on the right track, um, I want to suggest to you that you call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, is he in slavery? Is, is, does life stink for him right now? Um, is he in famine? He's not. He is, uh, some scholars think that he could have been 
quite possibly the richest guy on the planet. I don't know about that one, but I know that he was rich. He basically, they just looted Egypt. And he's walking into the land of milk and honey. And here's the important part that we have to get no matter what stage of life you, that you are in. He calls upon the name of the Lord. <coughs> Everything's going great for him. He calls upon the name of the Lord. We see this quite often just in the, the human condition and nature, the human, you know, the way that it, I don't know, just the way that we are, the way that we're wired. Uh, our attendance went up in 2008. What happened in 2008? Yeah. Stockbrokers were jumping off of buildings. Remember that? People lost their retirements. People needed help. People were hurting in in desperate state. People were broke. You still might be broke. How many people are still broke? Yes. (laughs) Right? Um, When there's pain, people come to church. It's just the way that it is. But when people are being blessed, the ones that are spiritually mature go. When they've, when they've got all of their needs met, when they're actually in, in, in a good place. They are, they're doing what Abram did. They are recognizing him. They are calling upon the name of the Lord. It's, very, it's, it's an interesting character uh, trait. All right, verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, he also had flocks and herds. Lot is his nephew. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were great, so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling among Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot broke out. So Abram said to Lot, let us not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. It's an interesting statement, because technically he, he... He's his nephew, but Abram calls him his brother. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up, and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Uh, Egypt actually is, is green, right down the, right where the river's at. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and he set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plains, and he pitched his tent near Sodom. Does anybody have King James? Any old school King James folks here? Dang it. Uh, King James is actually better on this one. Uh, What does New King James say? Um, Twelve. Yeah. Okay, even as far, who has old school King James? Somebody can look it up on their phone. Yes, Heidi. Uh, chapter 13, verse 12. Toward. All right. 
It's, it's a nuance. It's very, it, it's like really no big deal. It's, it's like, what, what's the big deal, Pastor Josh? Yeah, here's the big deal. Abram says, all right, let's not fight. Lot, you get to pick. You want to go left or to the right? And what does he choose? He chooses Jordan, the, the plains of Jordan. There's big cities, and the grass is greener. This is literally where we get the term, the grass is greener on the other side. It's where it comes from. So Lot chooses the land that is greener on the other side, and what does he do? He actually sees it. I don't know if you've noticed, but Lot didn't call upon the name of the Lord when he made this decision. Abraham had already engaged his faith. He was already seeing with different eyes. He could already actually see the conflict with his nephew slash brother. He understands that there's a spiritual dimension to the decision. Lot chooses based off on what he sees. Lot is walking by sight and not by faith. Okay, this is the main point of the whole message. He's walking by sight but not by faith. He's making a logical, tactical, profitable decision. What's the decision? It's greener on the other, th- other side. So therefore, I'm going to go where it is greener on the other side. But that verse that we just read out of King James, it's going to show you the condition of Lot's heart. And we need to pay attention to the conditions of our hearts when we make a decision. Because his, his, the condition of his heart was not, it's not good. He chooses to pitch his tent near Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we probably by just cultural reference, we know what, what Sodom and Gomorrah represents. If you've been in church long enough, you know what Sodom and Gomorrah represents. They were sinful cities. They were wicked cities. The way that Genesis says that there was an outcry to the Lord because of their wickedness, because of their sinfulness. And Lot chooses to set up near that, but the King James, again, it, it, it defines it better. It defines it actually a little more accurate because you can be near a sinful situation, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it has control or dominance over you. Okay? Uh, how many people live next to people that like to party all the time? Right? In my neighborhood, like, there's a quinceanera uh, every weekend. And my gosh, they party like there's no tomorrow. My neighborhood likes to party, and they push it all the way until the curfew, until they send the cops out. I love my community. They're a lot of fun. Every once in a while, I get invited to these parties, and guess what? I go. I do. If I get, invi- if I get invited to a cool cultural party, you better believe I'm going to be there. That's right. And here's the difference. Um, even though I am in proximity to maybe quinceaneras aren't sinful, let's, let's be honest, they're cute. But let's just say a, like a real full-blown party. Let's just say I get invited to one and I decide to go. My, my tent is not positioned towards the party. My tent is not positioned towards Sodom. Uh, and this is... Let's just talk about Sodom real quick. Let me define it a little bit better. Sodom is where we get the term sodomite. This is how evil and wicked and this, this, this whole system is really degenerative. 
So, um, let me continue reading. Do you guys understand the, the concept, though? You can, you can be near, you can be even in a certain environment, but in our hearts, we get to choose whether we are in it or towards it. See, Lot he was attracted to the green land. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But when he set up resident, literally his tent opened up towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you see? And spiritually, if you are setting up inside of enemy territory, spiritually, you need to, you need to turn your back on the evil and open up your tent away from it. Does that make sense? I mean, I know it's kind of weird. I know it's a nuance, but it's an important thing because, again, it reveals Lot's heart. His heart, his eyes were towards this evil, and it, and it, and it sucked him in, okay? All right. All right, so Lot separates from Abram. Okay. For sake of time, I need to go to part two of Lot's problem. Lot is continually drawn into this evil lifestyle. He's attracted by what he sees. He's being led by sight. He's walking by sight and not by faith. Right? Before you know it, Lot is no longer living in his tent. He's actually moved inside of the city. And the way that it describes it is, is that um, they found Lot sitting in the gate. And that might seem kind of weird, like it doesn't make sense to us. But the fact that Lot was inside of the gate means that he was the gatekeeper. Meaning that he rose up into a very high level of leadership within this city. And the story continues to go. I'll paraphrase it for you. The story continues to go that there were four mighty kings that raised up against the five kings of Jordan, uh, two of which were Sodom and Gomorrah. And these four kings, they overthrow the five kings. And guess what? Lot gets captured and taken into slavery. And Abram saves him. This is why we think that Abram was a rich dude, because he overcame several kingdoms to rescue his nephew slash his brother. He sacrifices his men, his money, his resources to save a family member. It's kind of a big deal. And then we don't have time to look into it, but then there's this whole mystery of the priest king Melchizedek. After Abram wins this victory, we see for the very first time the character of somebody that walks by faith because he gives, <coughs> excuse me, he gives a tenth of his percent to this mysterious priest king Melchizedek. Now in the Bible, there's only three priest kings that are ever mentioned. One is Melchizedek, very strange, mysterious figure from the city of Salem, and then he kind of goes silent. But the New Testament writers make a very big deal about him, so we need to pay attention to who he is and what he represents. A lot of scholars think that he is Jesus incarnate. 
I, we don't know, but it's, it's a great thing to think about. Abram offers his 10% of his spoils, of his victory to the Lord. He gives. Melchizedek is a priest king. Jesus is the second priest king. And guess what the New Testament says is the third? It's you and me. We are the only, we are the only creation that is characterized as both being royalty and being a priest. We are called to walk into the priesthood of all believers, and yet we are also royalty. It's kind of a big deal because uh, God wouldn't even let the Jews do this. You were either a Levite priest or you were in the line of Judah. He did not mix the two until today, until the church. So we get this ability to walk into a royal priesthood, and that's how God sees us. Like, there's a lot of crazy things that are going on in the world today, but as far as how God views you, how he values you, he sees you as a priest and as a king, as a queen, and as a prophetess, if you will. It's kind of, it's, it's really fascinating, interesting stuff. Okay, so we know that Lot gets saved, but again, we see his progression. His progression from uh, seeing green stuff and being attracted to green stuff. Anybody will admit you're attracted to green stuff. All right, that's what happens. He orients his eyes towards the sinful city. The first thing that he sees when he opens up his tent is this sinful city instead of the eyes of the Lord. And then before you know it, he is actually running this show. He is inside the city. All right? Now here's the fun part. Two angels arrived at Sodom. This is Genesis chapter 19. Two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered. We will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that the... They, they did not go with him in the entire house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast. That's an interesting note, by the way. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called the lot. Where are the men you came up with tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may rape them. Lot went out. These people are so perverse that they actually want to rape angelic beings. This is the, this is the level. Of, yeah, all right. Look, again, wherever you see the character of Lot, this is, this is awesome parenting skills here. This is the way not to be a good dad. Look, I have two daughters that have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you so that you may do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under my protection and my roof. Uh, skipping on a little bit further down. The angels say, we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great, and he has sent us to destroy it. Down to verse 15. With the coming dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry. You need to pay attention. This is happening. This is going down. 
Lot was uh, procrastinating. He was putting it off. He was sticking his head in the sand. He didn't want to do it. Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and the two daughters, and they led them safely outside the city. The Lord was merciful to them. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered whom? Who did he remember? This is verse 28 and 29. He remembered Abram. He remembered Abraham's faith. It's actually Abraham's faith that saved Lot. It was actually Abraham's faith that was getting close to saving the whole lot of everybody. Here's the heartbreaking part. So Lot, his two daughters and his wife, they're running. Uh, Lot's behavior with his eyes actually seeped into his wife because she couldn't look away. And she turned and she looked at the city and it says that she turned into a statue of salt. Because once again, she was led by sight and not by faith. She didn't trust what the Lord was doing. She turned around and she looked. Turns into salt. His two daughters, because of Lot's decision to gaze towards prosperity instead of trusting in the Lord, uh, because of Lot's decision to orient his tent so that he could see the evil city when he woke up, because of Lot's decision to move into the gate where he can continue to make more money and be in control and have power, because of Lot's decision to uh, give his kids away to the worst of the worst, he loses his wife because of what she sees, but you even see it seep into his daughters. This is what they do. This is verse 36. So both of Lot's daughters, oh, I didn't, I didn't, a little bit further up. I'll paraphrase. Lot's daughters say, oh my gosh, we need heirs. Our husbands decided to stay. They got, they got smoked. And <laughs> Lot's daughters decide to sleep with their father. And they produced two children. So, Lot, so both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab, after the father of the Moabites today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Amim, the father of the Ammonites today. So because of his, his, his lack of character and walking in, in sight and not of faith, it actually affected the decision that his children's made. And as a result, a spiritual heritage. The Moabites turn into one of the most evil people the planet has ever seen. So because they were oriented and positioned in Sodom and Gomorrah, that spirit did not die when God smoked the cities. It actually got passed on to Lot's daughters. The Moabites were so evil, in fact, um, of course, their, their whole religious cult structure was based around sex, but it was also based around death, and it was, <laughs> I, I can't even get into it. It's some of the grossest stuff that you could possibly imagine. But here's the thing about Lot. This is the, this is the thing that is so frustrating for 
You know, when you look objectively at the church and you look objectively at compromise, here's the thing that is so frustrating about Lot, is that Lot knew God. He knew and he recognized God. When the angels showed up, he knew exactly who they were. I wish we had the backstory on this. But Lot would be the type of person that would say, God, I know you, but what did Jesus say to those that were serving God? He said, yeah, you knew me, you knew me, but I did not know you. You see, the relationship goes both ways. And Lot knew God, but God did not know Lot in the same way that God knew Abraham. Because Abraham believed and trusted and had faith. So let's burn through these quick little points. I've got some points for you if you'd like to take notes on what you can do, what it actually look like, looks like to walk in faith. Are you guys ready? First of all, we have to admit you have to admit that you cannot do it. You can't do it within your own abilities. You might be the most skilled stockbroker in the world, but you cannot do it. Any decision that you make outside of faith is the wrong decision. Does that make sense? I'm going to say it again. Any decision you make outside of the framework of faith is the wrong decision. You might even get rich. By making a decision outside of faith, ask Lot, was it the right decision? Isn't this crazy? Do you see how practical this is for us? Any decision. I want to invite you to begin to walk in faith. No matter what decision you make, you make it within the context of faith. Admit that we don't have the answers. That's what I, I, believe it or not, my favorite part of church is worship. You would think maybe my favorite part of church would be being able to get up here and talk all the time. That's not. My favorite part of church is worship because I have the opportunity to stand before God and say, I cannot do this on my own within my own power. I definitely cannot preach the gospel without, without God's power. I've done it. It's flat. It doesn't work. You guys fade out and don't pay attention. But, but, I mean, inside of faith, inside of power, with me being able to say with all humility, God, I can't do this on my own. I admit that I am weak, but you are strong. Do you see it? Okay, that's step one. I think there's a million different steps, but that's definitely one. You've got to admit, okay, you need to pray for help. You need to pray that, God, I am, I need you, okay, it's not just admitting that you're weak, but you also need to ask God for help. You need to recognize that you are in him, that everything that you have, every power that you have is from him. You are in him. You need to pray for help. Call upon the Lord in your time of need, Psalms 50, 15. Trust, number three, trust a specific promise. Has God, has God given you a promise? You have something God is speaking, he, like he told you something? What did God say about you? And what are you saying about yourself? Or what are you saying about yourself? Does it match up to what God says about you? What, is the, what are the promises that God has given you? What are, the, if, what are the prophetic words that people have spoken over your life? Have you decided to walk away from those words? Because the easier decision is to walk by faith where you get the stuff. The harder decision is to walk by faith 
where you might not get the initial return? What promises? Second Chronicles 20, 20 says, Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Isn't that cool? If you believe, you will be established. If you believe his prophets, you will succeed. If you believe God's prophets, you will succeed. Okay, this is the, probably one of the hardest points to get. Number four is you need to act. You actually need to do what Abram did. You need to step out. You need to walk in faith. You need to put some action behind what you're doing. Again, there's nothing that we can't do within our own power. We need to have the power of God working through us. But there's somewhere in between. There is, even the Bible says the act of our will is actually reliant on God's power. So it is very, there's a mystery in there. When I figure it out, I'll tell you. But what we do know is that we are called to step out of the boat, to step out in faith, to do to do something that we wouldn't normally do, to stretch our faith muscle. This is an interesting, um, this is interesting where, uh, this is Philippians 2. It says, work out your, your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, it's not a, okay, think about that. Wait a minute, I'm supposed to work out my own faith with fear and trembling? I thought God saved me. Why do I have to save myself? Let's continue to read. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It almost, those two sentences right there, if you paid attention, they actually contradict each other. You have to work out your faith with, with fear and trembling, okay? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is something you need to meditate on. You really do. Like these words right here, you need to meditate on these. All right, God, what is it? You know what I think it means? I think that we need to say, okay, I'm going to act on my faith. For me to work out my salvation in fear and trembling means that I actually take my head out of the sand and I pay attention to what God is doing in my life. It is an active part, movement on my behalf. It's exercising my free will. Right, here's the fun one, which usually no one does. Uh, number five is that we need to thank God for his provisions. Psalms 106. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Again, this is one of the secrets that Abraham immediately tapped into as he began to walk in faith. Whenever he was successful, who did he give glory to? Himself? He gave it to God. Abraham is notorious for building altars like in random places. Here's the, here, forgive the pun. Whenever Abram built an, built an altar to give thanks to the Lord, it actually altered his life. And we see his character begin to develop a little bit more. You like the pun? Yes, you like the pun. Somebody likes the pun. Thank you. And in making these decisions in faith, walking in faith and not by sight, I think this is for me, this is the most important. How do you know that you've made a, a, a right decision? How do you know the decision is, not, is, is a faith decision versus a sight decision? A couple of things. One, there's a difference between functioning out of fear and functioning out of faith. Like, stepping out in faith is, is a little scary. 
but you shouldn't feel an overwhelming sense of dread and fear. All right? Does that make sense? Like, if you feel forced to make a decision and you're terrified in a bad way, have you ever been terrified in a good way? Like, when I went to college, I was terrified in a good way. Like, I was scared to death, yet I knew that God was leading me there. Does that make sense? Right? Uh, the time that I decided to go on an adventure in the bad part of San Francisco, that was not a good decision. That was a really dumb decision. That was a really dumb decision. And I thought I was doing the Lord's work. Well, I just about got myself beat up. You see, like, you know, this fear came over me. It was like, Josh, you're an idiot. This was a dumb idea. So there's, there's those there's those two things. Now, when you make a decision that seems to be a decision in faith, here's what you get. Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God will, will sit and rest on you. You don't have all the answers. You can't put all the pieces together. You don't know how it is, if it's even going to work out. You don't even know if it's going to succeed or fail. But it is well with your soul. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. That's when you know you've made a good decision, when you've actually made a decision in walking in faith and not by sight. How many people have ever had buyer's remorse? If you ever had that dread of buyer's remorse, guess what? You purchased out of sight and not out of faith. Practical stuff, huh? All right, how much time do I got? <sighs> Let me just run over this real quick because I think it's important. Sodom and God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It's very clear. He smoked them. There was an outcry to the Lord for their wickedness. Like that, those two cities were so wicked that we're still feeling the effects of their wickedness today. This part doesn't, it seems like it's out of place, but as far as I'm concerned, today it's not. Get your Bibles, turn to Luke. This is Luke 21. So the question that, okay, this is sermon number two. Hopefully you got all your points figured out. This is sermon number two. you've been watching the news, it's a little scary out there. Not only do we have this hurricane in Houston, this big one that's coming up into Florida, there's another one behind it. A few days ago, there was a category, there was a 8.4 earthquake in Mexico, killed some 60 people. Within a few hours of that, there, there was an earthquake in Japan. Did you hear about that one? Five point something that killed 30 people instantly. Uh, that week, um, within the same days, uh, we have all these really weird solar flares. And did you hear about this one? Probably not. Look it up. 
there's all these really weird solar flares, and the scientists can't explain why there's these really weird sun blots, and there's these X-type uh, uh, solar flares that are coming up. They don't, it doesn't make sense. They don't know why it's going on. Did you know that in Indonesia, there is, uh, there's conflict between people groups, and 300,000 people have just been displaced? Did you know that was going on? No, it's not hitting the news. Uh, there's massive floodings in, in India right now. Uh, last month, the tsunami season was at, a, it was at a record high. They can't quite figure it out why it was so high. It displaced a million people. We don't hear about that in the news. Okay, not to mention that we have these wildfires in Oregon in Montana, I think we just put ours out, but as, as of yesterday, the fires in Oregon are 5% contained. That's not hitting the news either. Uh, and then, you didn't hear about this one either, but last month, a meteor that could wreak havoc on our planet, it passed between the moon and the earth. Did you hear about that one? No. <laughs> The rate of this stuff is alarming. It's so alarming that the doomsday Bible prophet guys, they can't keep track of all of it. And I just, like, I hope I'm wrong, but as, as far as you, I am your pastor, and the Bible says that I, we are to be aware of the signs of the times. I am making you aware of it. I really hope that the Lord is not, well, I do hope he's coming back, actually. But my, my point is, when I'm telling you these things, I'm not going to breed fear into you. You need, well, let's just see what Jesus says. Okay, let's figure that out first. Now, okay. This is the part that doesn't necessarily fit. What did I say? Luke 21? Sorry. That's not right. Oh, it is right. Okay. Sorry. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting in uh, two very small copper coins. Since I tell you the truth, he said, the poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people have given their gifts out of their wealth, but she has given out of her poverty. She has put it all in. She, has, she, had, she put everything that she had to live on in the pot. All right? Now here's where it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't seem like it fits. Okay? Some of his disciples remarked about this and how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts and dedicated to God. But Jesus says, As for you, to see the time will come not only when one stone will be left on the other. Teacher, verse 7, Teacher, they said, When will these things happen? He's talking about the end times. And what sign will there be that we are, that these things are about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am him. Okay, we've seen this actually happen in our world today. A lot of people thinking that they're Jesus, a lot of different cults that are forming up that are not doctrinal, that deny the divinity of Christ, yet they've got Jesus in their literature. 
time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. We are hearing rumors of wars and wars. We're in a nuclear arm wrestle with Korea right now. What does Jesus tell us to do? Like as I rattled all those horrible things off, and maybe that scared the pants off you, but what Jesus is saying, he's saying, don't be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will come. In Matthew, he says, these are birth pains. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. You are a believer. Your faith is secure. Don't worry about these things. They're simply birth pains. Then he said to them, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from the heaven. But before all this will take place, let me skip down on that part. That's about the Antichrist. It's important, but not for our sake today. Verse 20, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that the disaster Desolation is near. Then the one who is in Judea will flee to the mountains and let those in the great city uh, get out. Verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Has that happened lately? It has. On earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossings of the sea. Men will faint, for, faint from terror, apprehension of what is coming on the world. For heavenly bodies will be shaken, and at the time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud in a great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads. You know what he's saying? Have the sight of faith. Hmm? Because your redemption draws near. Okay, so if I get the band to come up to the front, and here's going to be two things that I want you to think about. First, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Most everybody in the room does, but if you don't, I'll say a little prayer, and you can agree with me, but you need to get a hold of me. You actually need to put some action behind your prayer and solidify it. But here's the other thing I want you to think about. Your spiritual health right now, is it a lot or is it an Abram? Is it a lot or is it an Abram? You know, when we read Luke 21, it seems like, okay, the widow's might doesn't necessarily fit in to the end times, and I think that it does today. I'm going to give you a testimony because there's power in the testimony. This last couple of weeks, we have somebody in our church that we baptized that came to the Lord, and frankly, she's had a hard life. She had to, she had to move in with her sister to be supported. And God's doing an incredible work in her heart, and we see actual life transformation. And we baptize her. Here's the great part. I don't want to say the great part, but here's the fascinating part as far as I'm concerned. Because this is a sign, this is a mark of somebody that has been touched by God. She's got no grid for this. 
but she's praying in a deep way, like praying from the heart. No one taught her how to do it. She didn't necessarily see it done anywhere else. Thought it was kind of weird. She starts praying in tongues. She starts praying in the spirit without even trying, without even knowing anything much about it. It just fell on her. It just happened to her. Isn't that crazy? And here's the kicker. The Lord spoke to her last week during this Hurricane Harvey thing. God's judgment, I tend to not think so. I mean, we always live in a broken, fallen world. It could possibly be the result of our own actions. If you want to believe in global warming and stuff like that, that's quite possible. That's what God does. He lets us uh, pay the results of our decisions. God spoke to this lady and said, you are to give to Harvey, to Hurricane Harvey, to those in need. And you know what this lady that is down and out, that is coming into a right relationship with the Lord, you know what she did? She was faithful and she drained her bank account. She decided to walk by faith and not by sight. Oh, I don't have the money to give. But she did. She drains her bank account, and within hours, she gets phone calls for jobs. So if you need a really cool, awesome, spirit-filled, tongue-speaking, walking-by-faith, self-sacrificing housekeeper, I want you to email Janie Shogun. She'll hook you up. But these are the type of people, these are the type of people that worship in spirit and in truth. They say, I'm going to choose to walk by faith where it's harder, where it actually doesn't line up, where it doesn't make practical sense to do so. I'm going to allow God to bless me. Isn't that cool? All right, would you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, we, we pray for those in need. We actually pray for church family members that are actually, they're literally looking at the eye of the storm. We know this eye of the storm is going to go over the houses of the Burns and the Fritzes and the Druids. And God, so God, right now, we lift up our church family to you in the name of Jesus. God, we do not believe that these, what the insurance companies calls acts of nature are your judgment because you you paid for the judgment at the cross and so god we choose to see your active hand in our lives as we face difficult situations that do not make sense and where it seems like we're getting murphied over and over and over again. And if anything bad's gonna happen, it's gonna happen to me. God, I pray right now you break that mentality off of us and you give us the ability to walk and to see with eyes of faith. Because when the storm hits, people that walk and see in faith, they are able to say, it is well with my soul. Even though I am slain, I will worship God. What may come, I have a peace that transcends understanding. There is nothing in this world that will rob my joy, nor death, nor life nor demonic principality, not even the angels of the Lord can keep us from God's love today. That is the best assurance of faith that you could possibly get. 
So if you don't know Jesus, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, come into my heart. I admit that I cannot do it. I put my trust in you. I thank you for all the provisions that you provided, even the ones that I don't even realize. You died for the forgiveness of my sins. And if you prayed that prayer in your heart, you're part of the family. Now, if you know the Lord, but the Lord does not know you, if you're in that lock category, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, right now, I repent for walking by sight and not by faith. We're chasing the green dollar instead of chasing the green garden. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you will put an umbrella over my head and my family's head. God, forgive me for letting impure thoughts into my house by what I have looked at. God, just I pray you would just cleanse the windows to my soul, God. I pray right now that you will purge my eyes so that it will only be focused on what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, whether it is praiseworthy, whether it is excellent. God, I pray that I would be looking at these things instead of things that draw me into the gate of Sodom. Protect our families this week, God. Move us into deeper levels of character. Move us into deeper levels of faith. Move us into deeper levels of trust. We pray that you would just see a transformation within our families. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.